Welcome back to seeing life from a different angle. I want to uh, take the time to invite the listeners to also um, join me on my Facebook page. Don't worry, I get nothing from it um, financially. I just would love to hear your thoughts, your ideas, anything that you would like to address or explore or, or have me consider because I think you know, as much as we would all love to believe that we are blessed with this greatest of insight that, you know, it is through connection and communication with other people, you know, that we gain the opportunity to understand and to see things more clearly. So I would love that if you would be interested in joining me on Facebook. It is um, seeing life from a different angle. It's easy enough. I thought today I would dip into something that um, was a theory I developed a long while ago, way back in 2014, so it's been eight years. And it's we've talked about it to some degree before in some different ideas that we have explored, the places, for instance, of living um, existence and subsistence. But I thought that I would address it this way, is that I believe that there is what I refer to as a principle of approximations. And what that means is that we spend our whole lives to some degree trying to approximate the joy and the pleasure that we experienced when we were first an infant, when we were first born. I've talked about that before when we are born into this wide open reality where, you know, we feel this intense degree of connection. And there's no reason to doubt that we would have that connection because nothing has occurred in our lives and as of yet that would allow us to be fearful or allow us to feel like we were unloved. And in that space, I postulated that there are three beings. The first being is the child, of course. The second is the mother. But the third and the most important is God. And I believe ultimately that in that space we are truly living. It is the one moment and hopefully a long-standing one where we actually have this beautiful connection between the child, the person on earth who loves that child, and God. And in that space of living, we hope to stay. We spend our whole lives, really, if you think about it, struggling to get back to that place, even if we're not consciously aware of it. It's a constant and perpetual struggle to get back to this place. It's why we develop friendships. That's why we fall in love. You know, that's why we do all of these things in hopes of getting back to that place that was the truest and most beautiful connection we will ever experience. And the truth of it is we'd be fools not to want to keep going to that place not to try to want to find that level of connection. But the sad reality of it is we end up spending our whole lives disappointed. Sorry if you uh, hear a little raspiness in my voice today. The pollen is crazy here in New England right now, as I'm sure it is wherever you live. But it is so bad this morning that I saw a cloud of yellow dust go flying by for about five minutes. It was anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. So there is this place of living, as I say, that we constantly struggle throughout our lives to get back to. But what happens is that the world gets a hold of us and it makes sense. You know, the world, sadly, is not the kindest 
of places. It is not the most comforting of places. And you look around you, you can see it all the time in two ways. We get bombarded by all of this stimuli in our lives. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, we, you know, you see a car driving by and it's very rare that an individual who's driving by in the car isn't listening to something, isn't fiddling with something. You know, it's it's true wherever people are, you know, sitting in a waiting room and people are looking at their phones and sitting in that same space. Other people might be just talking or they're chit chatting about this or that. Rarely is there a moment of silence. And I think at one level, it's a good thing to be able to engage in this communication, of course. But on the other hand, you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation for doing so? Is the motivation for connection or is indeed the motivation for escape? You know, on the one hand, we desperately want that reconnection with that early primitive piece of ourselves that has now become unconscious to us and lives submerged in our unconscious, waiting with bated breath to be heard again. And as a matter of fact, motivating us to try to find these connections. But then we run into this conflict where we are seeking instead to just kind of ease our minds by running away from the things in life that might make us overwhelmed or uncomfortable. You know, I, I did a daily thought today, and in the daily thought I read from I have a brief segment of C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. And I was thinking about how fascinating it is that we as human beings desperately run toward anything. We're constantly looking for something. This will, this maybe is a thing I'm looking for. That's the thing I'm looking for. And we see it everywhere around us. We see it within ourselves if we're willing to stop long enough and look at it. We recognize that we are perpetually moving towards something or we're fighting for some cause, or we're believing in something, or we're, you know, racing perpetually in perpetual motion towards something. And what are we finding? You know, more often than not, we're not finding peace. We're not finding joy. We may find things that bring us a momentary degree of illusion of satisfaction. But it's not the same type of satisfaction. It'll always be a weak and pale substitute for the true love that we felt in the very beginning of our lives and that unconsciously we still long for. And so we have this period of time in the very early, earliest period of our life where we live in this wide open reality in the place of living. And if there can be such a thing as heaven here on earth, that is the moment. But what ends up happening, as I say, is that, you know, we're confronted by a world that is full of responsibilities, full of worries, full of fears, full of conflict. You know, you look around you, this whole episode in Texas is a great example <clears throat> where we are struggling on both sides politically, on both sides emotionally. We're struggling with trying to deal with this conflict. You know, and everybody thinks they have an answer. And by the way, nobody's right. Nobody's right. You know, you're never going to be right assuming that if you take away guns, for instance, that it's going to solve this problem. Man, by his very nature, after he is thrust out of that world, 
are pulled out of that world of that wide open reality full of love and caring and connection. Once he's pulled out of that world, he struggles with his own conflicts, his own world around him, his own rage and his frustration and his anger and his desperation. And in doing so, you know, he begins not to see those around him as sources of love and joy and pleasure, but as obstacles. And these obstacles become things that need to be dealt with. And how sad to think that other human beings that we at one time would have loved freely. And, you know, it's like pushing my granddaughter around the block today in her tricycle. You know, she's waving at everybody and they're waving back at her. She does not see people as obstacles. She sees them as opportunities for connection, for someone to care about, someone who will care about her, you know, and we sadly get to this place where our minds become so corrupted with fear and so therefore corrupted with hate because it is hate that allows us to see these obstacles as individuals that have to be dealt with and have to be eliminated you know and whether it is the shooter at virginia tech so many years ago whether it is the kid in you know, Buffalo, whether it is the kid in Texas, whatever the case might be, these people are suffering. Children and adults clothing who have suffered psychologically. And by taking guns away, you're seeking to find a substitute for what it is that you should be doing. It's not about removing the means to do harm to others, because one way or another, we will do harm. I said to a patient years ago, I said, the origin of war begins in the nursery. Once an individual begins to recognize that others are obstacles in the way of their own gratification, they'll do anything to that person. They'll throw them out of the crib if necessary. You know, it's a one way or another. We as human beings will find a way to deal with the obstacles in our lives. But why is it that the case is that we end up finding or believing that these people are obstacles? And that's the conflict. The farther we move away from that space of love, the farther we move away from that space of living, the more likely we are to see others as obstacles in our lives. Therefore, the more likely we are to fear what it is they might do to us, to fear what it is that they bring to our lives or might take away from our lives, to move to a place not of love, but of fear and desperation and a place where we get closer and closer and closer to seeing others as obstacles and move farther and farther and farther away from our humanity. And so if we're going to see a person at the lowest place or lower places on the line of approximation, if we see them as individuals who are in a place of subsistence, where the only way to deal with the tension in our lives psychologically, physically, is through artificial pleasures, pleasures that are not real, that they are based more on easing the tension of the moment than they are upon giving us anything that is healthy, anything that is truly psychologically or spiritually nourishing. And so to say to those individuals that are farthest down the line or farther down the line, you know, we're just going to take away this means for you to do harm to other people. 
is to not be helpful. It's to not care about those individuals and what they're going through. It better it is better, I think, to be able to look at those individuals as people, as individuals suffering, you know, that at one time were living, at one time did have a sense of joy in that place of living, in that sense of and that place of wide open reality and connection with their parents and with God. They had that at one time. And what happened? What happened? It's our task as human beings to be there for these others. You know, the other day I was looking at the story on uh, Bo Snerdley's page. Bo was the call screener for Rush Limbaugh before Rush passed away. And in this, one of the stories that he had put in his webpage was a story about what's going on in Canada. Now, believe this or not, this is has become national news. I don't know that anybody's actually heard about it or is listening to it. Not nobody, but I don't know how many people have. But Canada has made a decision to allow individuals who are too poor to sustain themselves to be euthanized. Think about that for a moment. You know, look at it in a variety of different ways. First, we're allowing human beings, human beings who are physically and mentally, they may be well, they may not be well, but physically and mentally, they are human beings, first and foremost. They are children of God. And as I said a couple of weeks ago in one of my podcasts about the value of life, who are we to make the decision for our own well-being, for our own sake, to ease our tension? Who are we to make this decision to rob God of someone to love? But we have this moment where we are so far in in this place of fear that we are willing to say, okay, you know what? I am so fear-ridden that we're not going to have enough money to operate this country, to make things work. And we're sick and tired at some level or another of taking care of the poor, the poorest of the poor, to the point where we're willing to say, hey, you know what? You're a burden on society, so it is time for you to make the choice for this moment, because at some level or another, eventually someone else is going to make the choice for them. That will happen. The slippery slope does exist. But we're going to allow you the opportunity at this moment to make this choice for yourself to end your life for the betterment of society. You know, think about that for a moment. How inhumane have we become that we are willing to say to another human being, you inconvenience me. You are an obstacle in the way of my financial well-being. And all I really care about is making sure that my pockets are full enough and that I get all the things that I want from life that money can buy. But you know what? Those who love their life on this earth will lose their life in the next. Jesus said as much. You know, he said, take care of the poor. <clears throat> Even though poor will always be with us, he said, take care of the poor. He didn't say euthanize them or get rid of them or turn your back on them. There is a song, whatever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. Words of Christ put into a song that I remember singing at church when I was a kid growing up. 
when did we make the decision that we don't care about other human beings or that we see them only as obstacles in our way? How far down the line of approximation have we as a society slid? You know, to move away from the place that inside of all of us, and it still exists inside of all of us, of loving and nurturing and connecting. We've moved away from that place so much that we're willing to say, I'm going to kill this baby because this baby is an inconvenience to me. I'm going to kill this older person because they're an inconvenience to me. I'm going to allow the poor to make the choice right now to kill themselves because they're an inconvenience to me. We are so far from that wide open reality. We are so much in a place of fear and indeed loathing for each other that we're willing to go to this space of letting other people terminate their life or terminating the lives of innocent children for our convenience, for our sake, for our desires. Because, hey, you know what? It causes me tension. And I've got to ease that tension. If I can't fit into my bathing suit because I'm having a baby, if I can't feed my baby, or I don't have enough food for myself, therefore I'm just going to put an end to it. Oh, it's going to inconvenience me because, you know, good Lord, what happens if people see that I've had a baby and then they don't care about me anymore, or my parents, you know, throw me out of the house, whatever the case might be. Don't forget that there are people in this world who do love and who want to give love to those that they see. You know, my brother-in-law and his wife adopted a child that could not be cared for by her par his parents. And they didn't have the means, but they made the choice to say, this child, a child of God, is someone who deserves to have life. I know I've drifted probably far afield from the original plan and desire of this podcast, which was to talk today about the theory of the principle of approximations. But I would leave you with this thought. I think that when we consider how it is we treat other people, we have this choice. We have this choice between loving them or hating them. We have a choice between connecting with them for their good and as well as for our own or disconnecting from them for an illusion that they are doing harm to us so that they might bring harm to us. It's no wonder that we live in fear of abandonment. We live in fear that we can't trust other people. It's no wonder that our society has gotten to this place. But I encourage you to consider, you know, when a moment arises and a person is in pain, do we see them as an obstacle in our life or do we seek to see them as a person that we can love and that we can care about? Be well.